2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: So have you had the experience of having a member of your family or a friend or somebody that you work with or somebody that you're in some other way acquainted with uh, begin watching Fox so-called news and watching their personality change, watching their politics change, watching them become A kind of zombie-like cult member who is spewing hate and anger and racism constantly and and, uh, doesn't trust anybody and just becomes a different person. Jen Senko did. She saw this with her father, and she turned it into a documentary. It's called The Brainwashing of My Dad, the website thebrainwashingofmydad.com, as you might imagine. Her Twitter handle is Jen underscore Senko, just like I'm Tom underscore Hartman, J-E-N underscore S-E-N-K-O. Jen, welcome back to the program. It's been a while.
4: Hi, Tom. How are you?
3: I am great, and I'm so glad to have you on the program with us. I loved your documentary when it first came out. I think I've watched it twice. I might have watched it three times over the years because it's just so well done and so brilliant you guys are are reprising it right it's going to be out again you want to tell us about this
4: came out in 2016 but it's been kind of gaining more momentum and more popularity because it's more and more relevant so i'm having mm-hmm. more people reach out to me that want to show it so Actually, next Saturday, May 23rd at 7 p.m., the Democracy Reform Project is sponsoring a Zoom screening. If people want to see it, they want to sign up for it, they can go to thedemocracysurvey.org, click on News to sign up. So, yeah, and then I'm actually also writing a book I started writing a book about two years before, and then last year, I had a publishing company come out and just email me out of nowhere and said, did you ever think of possibly turning your movie into a book? And I'm like, funny you should ask. So I am writing a book about the story, but also adding things in that I didn't get to add in to the movie, because you can't have a three-hour movie. People would fall asleep. Yeah.
3: That's yeah. absolutely marvelous. We're talking with Jen Senko, is the writer and director and producer of the brainwashing you know, of my dad. This documentary, is it generally available anywhere else? Is it on any of the media platforms like you know Hulu or Netflix or anything like that, or or is this seven pm thing that's coming Saturday, seven pm Eastern time? That'd be four pm here on the on the West Coast on um, May twenty third. Is that pretty much the only way to actually watch the whole thing?
4: Oh no no no! If they go to the website, they can actually see plenty of ways to see it. Right okay. now the, the, website, we're running the brainwashing
3: a, of my dad dot com. Right.
4: Right now, up until election day, we're running a, a Dump Trump special or a stuck at home mm-hmm. special on iTunes. So you could rent it for ninety nine cents. So there's a great deal on iTunes, it's on YouTube. Unfortunately years ago Netflix mysteriously rejected us and we even had someone who knew someone Uh, Netflix was really buddy with them and they never gave them an explanation, but that's another story, (laughs) so it's not on Netflix, but it's also on Amazon, Uh, yeah, yeah, it's Roku.
3: We're talking to Netflix right now about doing a documentary about uh, voting, so, and we've been talking with people pretty high up, so I'm curious, you know, from watching your movie, I mean, again, this is four years ago. They're in that age group where they're at real high risk for this virus. How are they doing these days?
4: Well, my father passed away shortly before the movie was released, and there was really good news. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a little blurb at the end of the movie. And I don't want to give the ending away, but there is a happy ending. But my mom just turned 100, And she's doing really well. She's still really wow. pretty political. She reads her political emails, and, uh, you know, she's the one who kind of helped rescue my dad. So she's doing fine. She just, you know, misses my dad. But yeah, she's good. She's living with my brothers, actually taking care of her in uh, Barnegat, New Jersey
3: that's marvelous so we're talking with jen senko the director writer producer of the brainwashing of my dad jen what in your opinion what are the principal techniques that fox uses to draw people into their cult to brainwash people and well let's start with that what 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 are the principal techniques that they use
4: well number one and it's key is the use of emotion. Previously, uh, news used to be about objectivity. You had people like Walter Cronkite, who as a kid I thought was boring as hell, but there was objectivity. He gave solid news. Fox News was kind of constructed by Roger Ailes, who understood television. Gabriel Sherman wrote a really great book about Roger Ailes. So he knew that if you got people angry and you could create emotion, you could kind of create an, an addiction. That's one thing, if you notice, that the pundits or the hosts on Fox News will use, is they'll act really emotional, they'll act maybe angry and if they act angry like Janine Carot, probably she seems like she's gonna her head's gonna blow off any second that makes it seem like they're sincere, they know what they're talking about, here they are professionals, and they can't contain themselves. So that use of emotion. Then, of course, there's the use of repetition, which was Goebbels thing. you know, repeat something over and over and over, and if you repeat it enough, it seems like the truth, even if you find contradictory evidence to that. And the other thing is that they make it seem like you're in the know. Their watchers, their audience. You're in the know. You're special. You get it. So they belong to this kind of a, a club or a tribe. And I think all human beings feel that need to belong to a tribe. It just goes back, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Those are just a couple of the ways. But also, too, with Fox, they have something that Limbaugh didn't have. They did copy a lot of what Limbaugh's techniques, but they have the visuals. Mm -hmm. They have these really, really flashy, almost hypnotizing visuals. And a lot of attractive
3: young people, too.
4: Yes. Yeah. As we know.
3: Jen Senko is the uh, the person we've been speaking with, the director, writer, producer of The Brainwashing of My Dad. You've got to see this if you haven't before. The website, the, T H E, thebrainwashingofmydad.com. Real easy to remember. You can tweet Jen at underscore Senko, S E N K O. Jen, thanks for dropping by today. Great talking with you. Tom, great talk with you too. Jay Gould, the railroad baron. This was back in the 1880s. Jay Gould was one of, there was this little group of four or five guys who basically owned all the major railroads in the United States. They were referred to as robber barons back in the day. Not just them. I mean, you know, that was the, you know, we call them billionaires today. A little side note here. Louise and I have been watching billions. I'm going to make a list one of these days of the shows that we have been binge watching. And I'm convinced that that show is nothing but a show about sociopaths, about psychopaths. You know, the lead character is a psychopath, his opponent is a psychopath, his opponent's wife is a psychopath, he's training his kids to be a psychopath. It's really fascinating how psycho, and which leads me to this whole theory that maybe psychopathy is the principal characteristic of what you could broadly call European culture that has spread around the world, colonized most of the world. And might be the, the secret power that has been used to conquer the world and bring us to this brink of destruction, literally. Jay Gould, which is where I started this, the robber baron back in the eighteen you know the eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, early nineteen hundreds. Jay Gould was one of the guys who bribed Stephen Field, Stephen J. Field, the Supreme Court justice, when he was in the California Circuit, bribed him to get the California tax tax cases before the Supreme Court that uh, Field also served on, so that they could get corporate personhood in 1886 in Santa Clara County versus Southern Pacific Railroad. So that's who Jay Gould was. Jay Gould once famously said that he was so rich, he and his buddies, that they could pay half of America's working people to kill the other half of America's working people. This was their strategy to break the unions. This was their strategy to, to stop any kind of rise of worker power. And look around you. This is what Trump and Fox News are doing. You know, this, this is clearly happening. I mentioned the bailout for the rich. We're at ProPublica. Jesse Isinger doing some really good investigative reporting, or at least reporting on it. ProPublica, 10 weeks into the worst crisis in 90 years, they say. We've got 25 million people officially unemployed, more or less. But the S&P right now is up 30% from its lows in March, which is a huge profit opportunity. You know, somebody puts a a billion dollars in and now they've got $1.3 billion. I mean, it is just amazing, right? Up 30%. And companies have sold record amounts of debt, particularly junk bonds, over this period of time, as I mentioned, because Jay Powell and the Fed are buying them. The Fed has $6 trillion worth of corporate assets on its balance sheets right now. That's more than Congress has appropriated. That's, I mean, it's just a mind-boggling amount of money. And asset holders like Apollo and Blackstone, they're being insured now by the Fed. J.P. Morgan Economist wrote in a celebratory note on Friday, quote, the Fed has explicitly indicated that there is no dollar limit and no danger of running out of ammunition. So off we go to the races, right? Meanwhile, you have two House panels, Joaquin Castro, who's the chair of the Foreign Affairs Subcommittee and which oversees the State Department, and John Larson, who's uh, the chair of the Ways and Means Subcommittee on Social Security, which oversees the Social Security Administration, both saying to Mike Pompeo, tell us about this Eagle plan where every American who has a Social Security account, which is basically every American who's ever had a job, or it's basically every American, that you can, take 10, you can get $10,000 right now to get you through this crisis so you don't starve or go homeless, become homeless. And in exchange for that, we're going to cut your Social Security when you retire. Uh, the idea was sent to a guy named Keith Kratch. Keith Kratch is good, who works in the State Department with Mike Pompeo. He's good buddies with Jared Kushner. In fact, they traveled together on the presidential delegation to Davos, Switzerland in January for that World Economic Forum. And the guy who works for Jay, uh, uh, to, who works for Keith Kratch, who actually wrote the plan, his name is Paul Tuo, T-U-O-W, and he's the chief strategy officer for Kratch. Kratch is kind of the chief strategy officer for Kushner, and Kushner tells Trump what to do every day. So expect to hear more about the Eagle Plan, this brilliant program by the State Department, to shovel a whole pile of money over to working people by taking it out of their Social Security. Coming to a uh, a news story near you soon, this is what's coming. This coronavirus has presented this opportunity for Donald Trump and the Republican Party to fundamentally change America. And I'm not just talking about the literally hundreds of rules and regulations that protect you and me from toxic chemicals and toxic pollution and safety standards in the workplace, safety standards among consumers, standards for safety for toys for little kids, all these things that are being blown up, regulatory agencies that are being gutted, EPA losing half its scientists, the Interior Department being run by an oil lobby, the free-for-all for public lands. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> what I'm talking about here with a little more narrow But just as bad, I mean, you know, this is just another piece, right, of this whole blob of horror that is the Trump administration and the Republican Party. And it's not limited, by the way, to the Trump administration and the federal government. This is happening in every red state, every state that is largely controlled by Republicans in the United States. And that is that big businesses and giant corporations who routinely donate to the Republican Party and to individual Republican politicians were freaking out back two, three, four months ago because their stock prices were collapsing. And stock prices are, you know, or stock, stock options are the principal way that these guys walk away with huge amounts of compensation. If you look for example at United Healthcare, a publicly traded company back in the day, dollar Bill McGuire, was only paid a few million dollars a year as his official paycheck. So, the company only had to pay unemployment on a few million dollars a year, the the unemployment tax insurance fee. They only had to pay his social security payments on the first hundred and whatever thousand, hundred and fifteen thousand dollars that he earned. And he only had to pay income taxes on, you know, a couple million bucks. But he got hundreds of millions of dollars in stock options. And a stock option is where when the stock price is low, the CEO is given these options. You can buy the stock whenever you want, right? So you're sitting on a million stock options. That doesn't mean you own any stock. You haven't done anything yet. You have the option. So whenever the price drops, you buy a whole bunch of the stock using your options. You exercise your options. You take the stock in. And then when the price goes back up, you sell it. And you make a fortune. And so CEOs love it. When the market crashes, for a short time, and then recovers, which is exactly what's happened. So you can take, you know, $100 million worth of stock options, and when the price of the stock drops by 40%, 50%, you buy that stock at half price, the stock comes back up, and now your $100 million worth of stock options is worth $200 million, and then you sell it. And that's how Dollar Bill McGuire, the CEO of United Healthcare back in the day, ended up taking $1.6 billion dollars as compensation out of Healthcare. It was almost all through stock options. And this is the game that CEOs have been playing forever. Stephen J. Hemsley, the last CEO of United Healthcare, over $800 million this way, almost a billion dollars. So they were looking at their stock prices and going, whoa, there's a problem. At the same time, average families were freaking out. You've got 40% of people earning under $40,000 a year, according to Jay Powell, the Fed chief, are now unemployed and without a paycheck. Almost half of all the people making under forty thousand dollars a year, which is uh, you know kind of the the median income actually in the United States is around thirty-two thousand, I think, a year, and and the average income is around thirty-six thousand or thirty-seven thousand. I'd have to look it up. It's been a while, but they're in that neighborhood. And the average is higher than the median because the average includes all the millionaires and billionaires. It's the old joke about there's. 10 guys sitting in a bar and Bill Gates walks in, the average net worth of all the guys in the bar just went up to $3 billion or $30 billion or whatever, uh, even though those 10 guys are all, you know, janitors. Average working people and particularly low wage average working people saw their incomes collapse. And so the federal government gives them $1,200 and says, here, good luck. Live on this for a few months. Now, the House just voted to give him another $1,200, but Mitch McConnell says, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Are you kidding? That's Mitch McConnell's. Actually, as Mitch McTurtle would say, well, they don't contribute to Republicans, so screw them. Trump has these two crises, right? And I use that word in the Rahm Emanuel sense, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. He's got the Republican donor class freaking out because their stock values have gone down, and he's got the American working people freaking out because 1,200 bucks, who can live on 1,200 bucks? I really need, you know, like maybe $10,000 to get me through the summer. That's what people are saying. So he's got a two-part solution. From Jerome Powell in the Fed, Jerome Powell says, we'll give unlimited money to corporations. We will buy their debt. When a corporation wants to raise money, you know, when they first start a corporation, they do an initial public offering, and they sell stock to raise money. But after that, no matter how much of a company's stock gets bought or sold, it doesn't make any money for the company. So what they do is they issue bonds, the, you know, the debt, IOUs, and people buy those bonds and they trade those bonds. Well, the Fed has now bought trillions of dollars of bonds in these giant corporations, which means that they've got all kinds of money to play with. It's borrowed, but it's borrowed at no interest of, you know, functionally. They've got all kinds of money to play with. And so they can keep their stock prices up. So the stock prices are literally, they're rising today because yesterday, the Fed, you know, the Jerome Powell, the Fed chair said, there is no limit to how much money we will use to support the stock market. And then for the average person who's staying, wait wait a minute, $1,200? I can't live on $1,200. Well, Mike Pompeo, who used to be the uh, Republican congressman from Koch, as in Koch Brothers. He was from Kansas. That's where Charles Koch lives. He's now the Secretary of State. He was one of these Tea Party Republicans. He's now the Secretary of State. And for some reason, the State Department, which isn't supposed to have anything to do with domestic policy, right? The State Department is diplomacy, international diplomacy. But the State Department has come up with this plan they're calling the Eagle Plan, that you, average American worker, will give you $10,000 right now. Here's a check, $10,000. All you have to do is give up a good chunk of your Social Security when you turn 67 and work until the day you die at age 80 or 90. Right? Isn't that a deal? Wouldn't you like to have $10,000? We can take a chunk out of social security. We've been trying, we Republicans, rich Republicans, we've been trying to kill social security ever since 1935. Come on, get with the program. We're going to have fun here. You'll get 10 grand. And you're in your 30s, your 40s, you're not you can't even imagine where you're going to be at when you're 67. So sure, take the 10 grand. Right. They're doing it. They're this it is the Tom Hartman program. Sheila in Newport Ritchie, Florida. Hey, Sheila, what's on your mind today?
4: Hi, Tom. It's regarding uh, the statement you made about exchanging your $10,000 for your Social Security. Now, I didn't right. hear. Is this for a percentage of your Social Security payment in the future or for the entire thing? Now, I. This is what these Congress people
3: Sec- are trying to find out. They're they're trying to find out what's the deal, you know, because all we know is the ten thousand dollars you get right now in exchange for some some reduction in your Social Security later. We don't know if what they're saying is that you know instead of getting X percent of your income, uh, you know, uh, for the rest of your life, you're going to get a smaller percentage for the rest of your life, or if what that means is that the first ten thousand dollars of Social Security benefits you would have gotten, you're just not going to get, or what? We just don't know. Okay, and that's All why right, these, because uh, I get a very work.
4: low payment. Let's say eight hundred a month. That is nine thousand six hundred yearly. That's the entire thing mm-hmm. one year at a low rate, and does this also there affect disability at the age of? We 16? don't know that either.
3: Yeah, the the, okay. the the Eagle Plan has not been publicly released. What has been leaked is that, you know, and, and this is, you know, the, the the mouse they're holding in front of the cat or, or probably more accurately, the food they're holding in front of hungry people is here's $10,000. Would you like that? It's got something to do with your social security when you retire. And we haven't heard that second half yet. And I think that when we do, people will probably be horrified. But to the best of my knowledge, that's what's going on. Sheila, thank you for the call. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up?
5: Hey, not too much, Tom. Hey, I just wanted to say I listened to your Thursday and Friday shows, and they were really, really great. You know, you're like the only major media personality that's caught how Trump is criminalizing his adversaries or his perceived adversaries. That brings me actually to my point on self-censorship. You know, we all self-censor, okay? And sometimes sometimes I'm a little bit, you know, emotional about it. But I do believe that the self-censorship is planned. I mean, it's a response to authoritarianism, okay? And it worries me. That's, you know, that's why I get a little emotional about it. It, it does worry me. And actually, Mitt Romney, on the self-censorship tangent, Mitt Romney said in response, to firing of Steve Linick, Romney right. said right. that we're in unaccountable democracy. Now, isn't unaccountable democracy really fascism, Tom?
3: Yeah, and it's also an oxymoron. And I really get this, Dave. Over the weekend, I just had this sudden hit. I just, you know, published last Friday on Alternet and all over the place a, a piece on Bill Barr. And I thought, oh, my God, what if he decides to go after me?
2: Your Dave, thanks a lot Tom for the to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video
3: archives. Is Bill Barr going to direct State Department goons to start snooping into me? Wouldn't put it past him. And welcome back, Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind today?
6: The question, should they get away with it? I don't think we should allow them. I'm assuming we have control of Congress, you know, the Progressive Caucus and the policy. I don't think we should not allow them to get away with it at all. I saw the interview with Joe Biden. Uh, on MSNBC so you must be listening to your program. Are you talking
3: about the one with uh, Lawrence O'Donnell Thursday night?
6: Yes, with Lawrence O'Donnell. Or was there another one? No, yeah. no, this was Lawrence O'Donnell. Um, it was a good interview but I think what I advise the campaign is just to state what Trump aggression and what they're going to do when they take office. But, but let's not focus too much on Trump. Let's run this campaign on a right to work Okay, the right for health care, a right for free housing, a right for education, the right for health care and the right for you to live prosperity. That's when he turned his. Well, first, you've got to get Joe
3: Biden on that page because Joe Biden is not in favor of declaring that there's a human right for health care and he's not in favor of, of declaring that there is a human right for housing. He is okay with saying there's a human right to make a reasonable living wage. But I don't believe he's fully endorsed the $15 minimum wage as being that amount. So Biden's got a ways to go. And what's going to tell us, Omar, whether he goes that distance or not, is probably going to be who he picks for vice president. Because whoever he picks for vice president is probably going to be our president in 2024 or 2025, January, when that person gets sworn in, when she gets sworn in. And that's why I'm hoping that he picks an actual, genuine, progressive like Stacey Abrams or Elizabeth Warren, rather than a corporate Democrat like Amy Klobuchar or Kamala Harris. Although I think Kamala Harris um, is closer to the progressive mold, uh, certainly, than Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar is the one who scares me the most. She is a creature of the big lobbyists.
6: Well, well, I don't want Kamala Harris because she's a corporate Democrat. I mean, she did a lot of favor to Steve Mnuchin. The reason why he's not in prison right now is because of the pass that she gave him. So I do not want to. I want Sally Yates. That would be a good VP. And if not, Elizabeth Warren. There's nobody else that she described. Yeah. Sally person. Yates has never who's held political it? office.
3: She's never held. I mean, you've got to have somebody who can stand for president, somebody who can run for president in 2024 and win and if you look at all the people who were who were campaigning out there in the last you know mm-hmm. in the democratic primary um the only two candidates who were drawing literally every single crowd more than 5000 people you know bigger than Trump rallies every single crowd were bernie sanders and elizabeth warren and yep. four years from now bernie sanders is probably not going to be able to run for the presidency he's probably going to you know he's going to be 80 he's going to be in his 80s four years from now elizabeth warren is going to be in her in her early 70s, you know, should be 73, 74, and she uh, is and looks young for her age. So we have to think about who's going to be president in 2028, and who are they going to turn the White House over to? So Omar, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you, and I love talking about this stuff. Tim in Midland, Texas. Hey, Tim, what's up? A virus actually needs a
2: live cell to to replicate but that's no different.
3: I get that but there's different mediums that are, are more hostile or less hostile to a virus and that's I was just wondering out loud whether you know flesh would be less hostile to a virus than for example steel I have no idea but I was just oh I got it. you anyhow, okay back to you Tim. yeah
2: well my my main question today is uh, you know do you believe we have a constitutional republic or some other form of government
3: well, clearly, this is a constitutionally limited, democratic, representative democratic republic. That you know, that, that is the definition of what we have. The constitution limits the powers of government. We have elected representatives. We don't have direct democracy like Greece did, uh, or like Correct. Athens did. Um, and, yep. uh, and, our, and our elected representatives are elected by majority rule, which is generally considered democracy. So it's, it's democratic and, and it's all in the, in the context of, of a system that operates by the rule of law, of republic. Why?
2: One of the questions that keeps coming up is uh, looking at the electoral college as opposed to the simple simple majority. And mm-hmm. the founding fathers, when they developed that, I think, was really poignant and, you know, forward-looking to develop a system that allowed all states, you know, representation. And the reason I have the— Yeah, election that, that was, election was one of the allow- issues, Tim,
3: but the main the main issue, actually, if you go back and read, this debate happened in the middle of June in 1787 in Philadelphia, and Madison kept copious notes on it, and you can read them online. I just wrote a book about this the Hidden History of the War on Voting, and there's a whole chapter about this. What they were actually concerned about was the fact that it was a four-day ride from south georgia to washington dc and if or new york was actually the capital back then even longer right. ride and they just figured there was no way that the average person could know who the candidates were and who were really good and who were really bad and so you know and hamilton wrote about this in federalist i think it's federalist 56 at some length that the whole point of the of the electoral college was to prevent knaves he said people of low political skills might succeed in becoming a governor or a mayor but they would not slip past the electoral college so it really really had very little to do with letting all the states have a say. Mostly what it had to do was the fact that there was no national communication system outside of the the mail, which was very, very slow back then. Tim in Seattle. I feel bad for our conservative
7: brothers in the country. Uh, My heart goes out to them. They're just so confused and they're brainwashed and they are uneducated. And I would love to see us really start to spend money like we have been with doing the great documentaries about the environment changes, and put it into trying to re-educate these people. If we can't mm-hmm. break through the wall of Fox TV and Limbaugh and stuff, go okay, fine. But we could go down and spend money. You know, I, I don't mean to pick on the South, but let's just say, for example, is there any money in that I don't know about? Is there a background people who are really to invest in billboards? going to invest in, you know, those little signs you see on a shopping cart? I mean, just really kind mm-hmm. of let's spend the, the money. billboard thing the is, enemy is line. big
3: right now in Kentucky. There's this whole series of billboards in Kentucky that they're putting up along the major freeways that say Moscow Mitch. It's It's got Mitch McConnell rattled.
7: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, if we can yeah. tap into more like the caller, he had a Southern accent and he's fed up with Trump. If we can circle some of those people in and get them to have mm-hmm. testimonials and saying and Trump lied to us. You know, he let me down.
3: Yeah. Or and you're talking about the guy from thing. West Virginia who said that his local VA, they lost their masks because uh, Kushner stole them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know,
7: and I, I like that Hillary brought those women out to say what Trump had done to them in 2016. Maybe next time we bring out all the people that he screwed over with job promises and breaking mm-hmm. contracts and let them get in front of the camera. If I can also say one more thing, I am super proud of some parts of our government right now because I'm in standby layoff with my teamster job and unemployment that I paid into is absolutely working and it's keeping my family afloat. So we've got to focus on the parts of government that does work, especially like what the Progressive Caucus have pushing forward. I think we all need to stop saying that the media isn't right and the media doesn't do this and the media doesn't do that because we shouldn't be even following mainstream media. We should be listening to your show Democracy Now!, Ralph Nader, I mean, all of these places that are bringing the truth. I don't care what the Spokane Review says or even the L.A. Times. And we need to only concentrate on what real media is.
3: Well, yeah, I don't disagree that there's a lot of good stuff to be found on this show and on Amy Goodman's show and Stephanie Miller and Randy Rhodes, et etc. Mm-hmm. But I would add to that that if you don't know what's being said in the main corporate media, in the CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post media, and if you don't know what's being said over on Fox News, that mm-hmm. you are less prepared to deal with people when they want to discuss politics with you. You really need to know what are the memes out there. What are the positions that people are taking? So anyway, I I try to share as much of that as I can with people. Process some of that stuff and share it with you and give you the information. It was the whole thing about, they think that they're, uh, by harassing people who are wearing masks, they're owning the libs. I mean, this is a thing now, right? And it's gonna get worse.
0: Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender. NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.
3: So, would you like to watch the Tom Hartman program, all three hours of our program? Patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com/slash Tom Hartman, t-h-o-m-h-a-r-t-m-a-n-n, all run together. And you become a supporter of the program through Patreon. You have access to the full three-hour show and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Tom Harp. Thank you. Steve in Topanga, California. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today?
6: Hey, Tom, um,
2: I was thinking, what happens now after the House passed the stimulus bill on Friday and Mitch McConnell's already said it's dead on arrival, what do the House members do? Do they just hang tough or they compromise, or they just let it uh, dwindle and die in the Senate? I mean, I'm not sure, I mean, it seems like their tactics before haven't really worked to get them anywhere. And like you said last week, you know, if they wanted three billion or three trillion, they should have asked for six, and they didn't do that. So, do they just get it whittled down, or what's the what's the strategy here to, you know, kind of take their power back a little bit? Anyway, I'll take my uh, answer off the air. Yeah, thanks. All right.
3: Okay, thank you, Steve. Yeah, good talking with you. I don't know the strategy, frankly, which troubles me, um, and. And there may well not be a strategy other than doing the bill and assuming that everybody actually reads the New York Times and knows what the bill says. And the fact of the matter is the vast majority of people, vast majority of Americans don't even know that, that the House passed a bill. I, you know, I can guarantee that. And, you know, no reference to it at all on Fox News, or if there was, it was, you know, condescending and sneering. And so what if I was running strategy for the Democrats, what I would have them do is I would have them out there every day a different person every day talking about some aspect of the bill in a way that would get news, like coming out and saying, you know, we we just designated a trillion dollars for cities and states, but if it's really important to the Republicans, we're willing to cut that by $50 billion and have some cities just have to lay off some police departments. We're willing, you know, or or you know, we're thinking about actually, actually we've got to increase that by 50 billion dollars because we just discovered that Des Moines, Iowa, won't have enough money to keep their fire fire department uh, uh, staffed. So, <coughs> excuse me, we're willing to do, you know, figure out some news hook, right? Go out there with a news hook and say, this is what we're willing to do. This is how we're we're willing to make this happen. That's Frankly, that would be my advice. That's what I would do. Chris in Seattle. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind today?
2: Tom, I think you basically just touched on it. I was going to say, why can't any Democrats figure out how to use the bully pulpit? We are living in a reality TV world. This is what people see and do. And when Obama was in I remember every single day, the power of the presidency is the bully pulpit. He would come out and say something, and immediately the leaders of the Congress would come out, the uh, the Republican side, and get on TV countering him. They would get out. They they have the ability to push their message, lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. We can't keep something like that going. They did it over nothing, over nothing. There was nothing there. And I, I just keep waiting for it. Right.
3: Well, what they did was they picked basically three topics, each one that could be explained in a sentence or two and turned into a bumper sticker, and then pounded exactly. on those for years. And, and they get out there and, and use know like that, that requires... Yeah, but that requires a hierarchical, top-down structure where people at the very top, who are willing to rain money down on everybody, say this is how it is. They have experts like Frank Luntz who do all the t- focus group testing. There's nothing like that in the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party, rather, is like herding cats. So there's a whole bunch of different people with a whole bunch of different ideas. And, uh, you, know, it's, it, you know, the good news is the Democratic Party will never create a fascistic regime because they're too scattered. The bad news is the Republicans will and are. And, you know, it concerns me. Our one-hour free podcast recaps our show and it's available wherever fine podcasts are found. And we have the full three-hour podcast available over at TomHartman.com if you want to really support our program. Tom Hartman here with you. There's just a pile of stuff that we all need to know about. It looks like the Inspector General for the State Department, each major agency has a person called an Inspector General. And, you know, if you watch these cop shows on TV, you know, the the guy from Internal Affairs is here, and all the cops are like, oh, no, oh, my God, I hate Internal Affairs. The guy from Internal Affairs comes in and says, I know what you're up to. You planted a gun on that guy. We're going to bust you. This is the end of your career. You know, that kind of stuff, right? The, inter- the inspector general in an agency is the same thing as the internal affairs in a police department. You've probably never seen a, uh, you know, a major television program. Maybe they should come up with one about in- inspector generals, right? They, they, it, would make, it would actually make a damn good show. Um, but in any case, so, you know, uh, Trump fires an inspector general. People go, yeah, so what? I don't know what that means. Well, that means that he just fired the cop in the department, the one who makes sure that nobody does things that are illegal. And it turns out at first we thought that the inspector general was being fired because Mike Pompeo and his wife were having staff members run errands and pick up food and and do grunt work and take care of their kids or whatever it was. You know, there's this whole whole which is illegal can't use government employees or government facilities or government anything for your own private benefit and his wife travels with him all around the world and lives in a life of luck, you know lap of luxury i mean after all the, mike pompeo is one of these uh, acolytes one of these children of the trump of the Kochs rather of the billionaire class they 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 bought him they own him they they did his they created his political career And now he's secretary of state and he's cashing in. So we all thought that that was what it was. But actually, it turns out that it looks like the State Department oversaw this sale, this $8 billion sale of weapons to Saudi Arabia that Saudi Arabia is using to bomb the crap out of Yemen. And, uh, you know, we're dropping American-made munitions with American-made jets on a country that we've got no beef with right? Yemen is having an internal, basically a civil war between two Muslim factions, between the Sunnis and the Shia, essentially. The Houthis are Shia and the, and the, the power structure uh, is, uh, is Sunni, as I recall. I may have that backwards. But in any case, Saudi Arabia decided to intervene and bomb the crap out of the, out of the Shia folks because Saudi Arabia is all about Sunnis, you know, Sunni Islam is what brought us, you know, Osama bin Laden and 9-11. The Sunni Islam as practiced by Saudi Arabia specifically. The Saudi Arabia Wahhabists, they've got, they're setting up, uh, you know, uh, mosques all around the world to teach these, the, the, the most extreme form of this particular religion. And it's as if, you know, the U.S. Army did whatever Jerry Falwell Jr. wants done. I mean, that, that's what's going on. And, uh, you know, it was illegal. This $8 billion in arms sales to Saudi Arabia uh, was apparently illegal. And the inspector general of the State Department was looking into it. And Mike Pompeo went to Donald Trump and said, I don't like this. And Donald Trump put, a, put the kibosh to it by firing the cop. Meanwhile, in response to the coronavirus, countries around the world are responding in just some spectacular ways. Most of the countries of Northern Europe still have their unemployment rate in the 4 or 5% region. Why? Because they're directing money right to workers in exchange for the companies keeping those workers on the payroll until someday in the future when they can go back to work. So they don't have high unemployment numbers. They haven't, they haven't atomized their, their uh, national, essentially welfare programs. All of these countries have national health care programs, so nobody has lost their health insurance. You know, 40 million Americans are without health insurance. Well, actually, it's probably more like 60 million Americans now. We had 40 million without health insurance before, and now you got another 20-some odd million who've lost their jobs and presumably also lost their health insurance. And then on top of that, you got another 100-plus million Americans who can't, who can't afford to use their health insurance because they can't, you know, 60% of Americans can't deal with a $1,000 bill you know, uh, and, and if, you, you, if you go to your doctor and you have to go to the hospital and have even some small procedure, a biopsy or something to find out if you actually have cancer, what is that pain or what is that lump? You know, it's going to cost thousands of dollars in copays, and people can't do that. And so they're, pro- they're putting this stuff off. Well, Spain not only gives everybody free healthcare and has for decades, but now they're experimenting with a universal basic income scheme. It's only 500 bucks a month but it's a start. I mean, it's going to 100,000 people in Spain, and they are saying that this is not going to be a temporary program. Uh, The Spanish Social Security Minister, uh, Jose Luis Escriva, said that this will be, quote, a permanent safety net for the most vulnerable. So while states and counties and cities all across America right now are laying off teachers and cops and firefighters... And, and, and in some cases, trash collectors, because they have lost their state revenue and the federal government won't help them out. And Mitch McConnell says, no, we're not gonna bail them out. And Donald Trump says, uh, "You know, no blue state bailout. While that's happening, countries like Spain are keeping their people whole, keeping their systems in place, keeping their states or provinces or whatever they call them in Spain, whole, and they're giving everybody for the rest of their lives who is at the bottom end of the income scale, 500 bucks a month. What's wrong with us?
2: You're listening to the Tom Hartman program.
3: What's wrong with us, he asks rhetorically. Obviously, the answer, Republicans, conservatives, and right-wing billionaires. That's what's wrong with us. Coming up on The Science Revolution this week, Dr. Michael Mann is here on heat, sea levels and the Amazon. Oh, boy. The environmental scientist and writer Dana Nuccitelli drops by on Michael Moore's Planet of the Humans documentary. He explains how it peddles dangerous climate denialism. And journalist David Sirota is exposing the coronavirus cover-up. In Geeky Science, I'm discussing the importance of biodiversity and how the future of the Amazon may depend on taper poop. Find The Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. So actually, as I was describing the State Department firing their watchdog or Donald Trump firing the State Department Inspector General, their watchdog, Kelly Eleveld just published a piece on Daily Kos just minutes ago that goes into a little more detail on this, which I hadn't realized. Turns out Trump went over to Saudi Arabia, had a conversation with the prince or something like that, and he wanted to give Saudi Arabia $8 billion worth of weapons. Congress passed a law saying you can't do that. Not only do we not authorize that sale, but we are actively blocking that sale. Trump vetoed the law, but he still didn't have the ability to give Saudi Arabia $8 billion worth of weapons because, you know, he didn't have congressional authority. So he declared a phony state of emergency and then the State Department, you know, started shoveling weapons over there and they started shoveling money back this way. All was good again between the Saudis and uh, Jared Kushner and his loans and God only knows what all, right? That's what happened. That's what the inspector general was looking into and apparently why Trump fired him. One other thing I wanted to share with you really quickly, inequality.org, which is Chuck Collins' organization, does a kind of daily newsletter and they're petulant plutocrat of the week. This is hysterical. Uh, This guy, his name is Rodney McMullen, and he's the CEO of Kroger. One of you know the nation's largest supermarket chain. And uh, he had a choice, uh, Rodney McMullen. He takes a salary of uh, 21.1 million dollars a year, or at least did in 2019. He has about 20,000 Kroger workers who are frontline workers who are right now getting an extra two dollars an hour as hazard pay. You recall I was ranting last week about how I think hazard pay should be time and a half, but whatever, two bucks an hour they're getting an extra two dollars an hour. And he wants to do away with that. Well, he had a choice. He could do one of two things. He could either reduce his own salary from $21.1 million to a mere $1 million a year. And that would free up $20 million, which would be enough to give all 20,000 workers two bucks an hour for the next three months. Or he could... Tell them no, you can't have that two bucks for the next three months, and take his his full twenty-one million dollar paycheck. And Rodney McMullen has apparently decided to take to take his uh, his twenty-one million dollar paycheck. It's uh, it's sad, it's disgusting, but you know, hey, we need to know what's going on, right? We need to know what's going on. Bob in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind about AOC?
5: She's we ruffled some progressive feathers lately, by moving ever so slightly, maybe a little to the center. and I'm wondering if Nancy's grooming her to replace her, or if she's politicking for the job. Because if I remember correctly, didn't Nancy say she was going to retire in 20? That was part of the deal with Tim Ryan, or did she
3: mean? I don't believe that Nancy had to make a deal with Tim Ryan. Um, he didn't represent a real threat to her, to her speakership. And I don't recall any particular deal, although, you know, I may be wrong, Bob, I, you know, sometimes I miss those things. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a political genius. She is, in my opinion, she is the Bill Clinton of this era. That is to say, you know, a politician who can just rapidly climb through the ranks based purely on their, on their oratorical and person-to-person skills. She is sharp. She's funny. She has a deep uh, breadth of understanding. Um, she, she has the, the background story, the kind of Bill Clinton story, the rags to riches story. Um, and, and she's young. She's got a hell of a long career ahead of her. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if a couple years down the road, um, maybe a little more than one or two, but not much more. Uh, she ends up in a certainly in a leadership position in Steny Hoyer's position or something like that, and possibly even Speaker of the House. I would love for her to be Speaker of the House. I, you know, I, I would do just about anything to see AOC climb that political ladder. And she's got two Democrats challenging her in a primary right now, one of whom has got a lot of money behind her because she used to be a Republican. She declared that she's a Democrat so that she could run against AOC and she's corporate and all that kind of stuff. So, You know, she's she's got a primary battle coming up that she's actually having to raise money for. And she's asking people for help. But in terms of, you know, being groomed for Pelosi's replacement or where she's going from there or any of that kind of stuff. I don't I honestly don't have any kind of inside information to share with you, Bob. Um, But I, I, I would love to see her play a larger role on the national scene. Jenny in Miami Beach, Florida. Hey, Jenny, can you hear me? What's up?
0: Yes, I can hear you. Hi, Tom. I'm calling um to talk about the article today in the New York Times which was freed by the court ruling the Republicans are stepping up effort to patrol voting. Um you've talked about it right. before in your book The War on Voting you talked about like the big uh role that provisional ballots play i think a lot of like the the Republicans' movement right now is not only to set up poll monitors but also to train like poll monitors and poll workers to work at those sites and i think we have to put like a really huge effort on educating people about the fact that provisional ballots are not really casting a vote they're not counted until they actually get to a judge and also recruit, okay. making sure that we recruit poll workers at both sides of the aisle and that In those polling stations that there's like an even distribution of at least of poll workers and also stepping up tactics like we did in 2009. I clearly remember having attorney friends of mine positioned all over the U.S. to help elect the first African-American president. And I think that we need to see it with that sort of urgency in order to save our democracy.
6: I
3: agree. And, you know, the person at the forefront of this is Stacey Abrams. She is running an organization that is now operating, I believe, in 35 states. I mean, uh, she has gone from being a local or regional power at the very most to being a national power. And uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember off the top of my head the name of her organization. I think it's Fair Fight. Um, but you can certainly uh plug it into a search engine and get her information and and I would strongly recommend that anybody who's concerned about this issue uh do whatever you can to support Stacey Abrams and her efforts and her organization send a money volunteer uh I know they're looking for volunteers they're looking for people to participate um, she knows what she's doing. She understands how this works. She was the victim of it herself in Georgia. She's seen it up close and personal, and she's really, really good. Um, I, I think that that's she's the premier, uh, you know, at the top of the list. I, you know, the old, some of the older groups like the Legal Women Voters uh, is a great organization, but they they haven't been you know, uh, f- full of fire and brimstone. <laughs> and that's what we need. And that's what Stacey Abrams is doing. Jenny, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Beverly in West Hills, California. Beverly, what's on your mind today? Uh,
1: listening to the Ralph Nader radio hour yesterday, um, one of his, uh, last guests was speaking about, uh, the Trump death clock that was, uh, placed in, uh, Times Square in New York City. And he yeah, said that uh, right now that putting up billboards and even putting up this clock that it has like a countdown, must be an electric clock, that, you know, as the deaths continue, you know, uh, the numbers keep going higher, um, he suggested that in other parts of the country... Um, as, as people do become sicker um, and perhaps even die, you know, from the COVID-19, that uh, people can rent billboards for song. You know, uh, right now, uh, he said, in fact, this, this huge 58 foot high uh, uh, billboard was only, it was less than $10,000.
3: Yeah, and, and billboards in rural areas can be really cheap. I mean, in some cases, it's a, a few hundred dollars a month to rent a billboard. And billboards can be very, very effective the death clock by the way i found that absolutely fascinating beverly because i assumed that it would say right now ninety thousand dead right but actually what they're doing is they're comparing the number of dead people right now with what that number would have been if in early february or even late february donald trump had shut down the country instead of waiting until the middle of march if he had done it when he was first strongly advised to do it by his public health officials and so it's about half of the total count. I don't I don't recall the number now. It's been a, a week since I looked at it. I saw it when when the press release first went out. So so right now the total deaths is, you know, 90,000 more or less. The death clock may say that the total, you know, the, the ones that you know, where Donald Trump explicitly has their blood on his hands might be 50, 60, 70,000. I'm not sure what the number is. But I think it's a spectacular idea. And I would encourage anybody who's got, you know, a, 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 you know who has, is a person of means, somebody who has the ability to spend five or ten thousand bucks for two or three months or from now until the election on putting a Trump death clock on a billboard near you. People are starting to get out and drive, even if they're just going to pick up food at a restaurant. And, uh, and, and the cost of billboards now are cheap, cheap, because advertising revenues have collapsed. Beverly, thank you for bringing that up. That was brilliant. We'll be right back. Tom Hartman.
2: Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
3: James in uh, Chicago. Hey, James.
2: Have you ever uh, matched the uh, 42 presidents of the United States with the 42 patriarchs that are listed in the Bible? What happens is you get a calendar that goes all the way from uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to uh, Washington, uh, Adams, and Jefferson. And what it is, it's a calendar. But anyway... Uh, The bottom line of what I want to say today is um, this country is basically shot. This is the eighth empire. It is the last empire, as predicted. And the DOJ is shot uh, the Republican Party, uh, the presidency, uh, basically the federal government. uh, All but the uh, Democratic side in the House is pretty much shot. It's gone. So this, yeah. this country is pretty much
3: shocked. Yeah, I, I, I get that, James. I, and, and, and the whole thing about empire, and James, thank you for the call. Thanks for bringing up this topic. The whole, and I'll just end this last minute with this because I think it's, it's an important one. There have been empires that have risen and fallen spectacularly. The Roman Empire is the one that most people are familiar with, but there was also a Greek Empire. There was a French Empire. Um, uh, there was an Egyptian Empire that all collapsed. But there are also empires that have not collapsed, but simply gotten smaller and less toxic and and healthier, actually. And that would be the Dutch Empire. They they owned the world's trade in the 1500s. By the mid-1600s, they had been eclipsed by the British Empire. The British Empire grew, and it was the world's largest power until really the mid-19th century. And certainly after World War II, They just basically cease to be what they are. I mean, the British Empire just ceased to be the British Empire anymore. And so the lesson for this, for the United States, is that as we cease to become an empire, and we haven't yet started that process, but I think it's inevitable, we need to start bringing our military bases home and start looking within and building America as a country, building America for what we can do and stop our dreams of empire, frankly, in my opinion, because they've become toxic. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, tell people about progressive media. Tag, you're it.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.